at a storm, but, you know, there are storms in life, and God's right there. I, I just want you to close your eyes for a second, because sometimes it's hard to let go of the things that we struggle with, because they're so real, so big, and so constant in our lives, to be able to put them aside, to be able to receive what God has for us. So right now, I want you to recognize that you're not alone. And, and you may have all sorts of family around you, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's right there. God's always been there. And God has longed and looked for opportunities to be able to partner with you in seeing you through. He does want to work all things out for good. But you have to trust him. And right now, whatever it is, big or small, it's not about, well, God, I can handle this. No, the truth is none of us can handle it because God can do much better than all of us put together. So right now, the Bible says we're to cast our care upon him because he cares for us. Just think about what you're, what's weighing you down. What's, what's stressing you out. And right now, just give it to God. Heavenly Father, we make this deposit with you. Things that have weighed on us, things that have stressed us, things that have caused us even to be anxious and fearful. But you have told us you've not given us a spirit of fear. So right now, we cast this on you. We trust you with it. Because we know that you can do far more than we can. You have far greater resources, far superior wisdom, and far greater ability and strength. So, Father, as we put this in your hands, we know they're in the best place. And that you will work this out for good because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name and everyone who believed that said, amen, amen, amen. amen. <laughs> Praise God. Well, if we have any children in here, six weeks to sixth grade, they need to head over to the rainforest. Any quests, seventh through twelfth, head over to the quest wing. The rest of you, take a minute just to greet a couple of people around you, and you can be seated. God, God is, is so good and so generous and so kind. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much, honey, for 46 of the best years I've ever had. 
And I will, I will let you in on what my wife said because she told me as she was sitting here that Erica alluded to. Because, you know, somebody says, well, she'll tell you later. And I, that just is like, no, now. <laughs> so she said, and, and next year, 47, unless we're in heaven. Yeah, I, 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 I'm thinking, does she know something I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> but truly, one of the things that every day I see God's great love, his great generosity, his great kindness, his great provision, uh, giving me better than I deserve, is, is Debbie. You know, it was, if you ever heard our story, you would know that it was nothing less than God because we, there was no way we should have connected. But that's what God had, and it has been amazing. And she does deserve rewards and awards for 46 years living with me. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're always in the process of growing and going on into what God has for us. And, and we've been learning. We've been learning about his kingdom because we've become... Citizens of a new kingdom, there's a new and living way, the Bible says, we walk in. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord, it's easy to say, okay, all right, I've given Jesus my life, and then we live the way we always lived, and there's no real change in the way we live. And people don't see a change, and they should, because we are supposed to be witnesses. And a witness is somebody that reveals something or supports something uh, that they, they know personally. And if we know Jesus personally as our Lord and Savior, then our lives should show a change. It should be different than what we lived like before. And that's not always the case because we are always a work in progress. But it should be that we're gaining. We should be learning about this new kingdom. And that's what we've been doing. We've been learning about this kingdom that we're a part of. And we've been looking at it through the Lord's Prayer. Jesus was asked by his disciples... Of all the things that they could have asked him, they asked him, teach us to pray. How do we pray? Now, they had seen him pray over and over many times because Jesus was known to go out before the sun came up and pray. He would go out at night and pray. He would pray through the day at times. And, and so they were very interested in knowing how to pray. And so he gave them this model. Now, one of the things that we do know by what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 is, don't just repeat words. He said, don't pray with vain repetition. And vain means something that doesn't have any effect. Now, is it okay to pray the Lord's Prayer word for word? Absolutely. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer word for word. But it's a model, but it's also something that, that we can pray with an understanding of what this is all about and be able to receive what God has and expect what God wants us to expect. And so uh, this morning we're going to quickly review and then we're going to jump into where we left off last week. But before we do, we're going to pray. So if you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence. Father, we're so grateful that there's no place we can go, you aren't there. As a matter of fact, your word says you go ahead of us and prepare the way. But Father, oftentimes we get there and we don't recognize what you, you've done and where you are. But today we are assured because 
there are more than two of us gathered here today, and you are here in our midst. But Father, we don't want just your presence. We need your impartation. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your comfort. We need your hope and your joy. We also need adjustment. We need to realign and be corrected because there are things that we need to stop doing and there are things that we need to start doing. And all of us are different. So speak to each one of us individually as you speak to all of us corporately, whether we are here in this building or online. Father, we thank you there's no time or distance in the spirit. And we thank you, Father, for doing what only you can do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? So let me ask you this. How many of you this morning, I, won't, I wouldn't embarrass you and have you stand up and recite it, but how many of you feel pretty confident that you would be able to recite the Lord's Prayer without looking at anything? Look at that. that. That's really amazing. It is, it is by far the, one of the most well-known prayers, but it's also one of the most least understood. And so we're, we're in verse 12, but starting in verse 9, Jesus tells us, uh, pray in this manner, and then he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And, and what that's telling us is it immediately is giving us an understanding of who we're going to, what relationship we have to him. He is our father. Now, unfortunately, as human beings, we don't get everything right all the time. I, I am a dad. I am a grandfather. And I am not perfect. And my children and grandchildren will say amen. But I did the best I could with what I had. And have I learned? Yes, I've learned. I'm not making the same mistakes over and over again because we can celebrate failure. Some of you are like, what? Uh, nobody told me that. Yeah, we can celebrate. Most of the things that we have came through failed experiments, right? How many times did Edison try to create the electric light bulb? Yeah, hundreds of times, and each time he got closer to the answer. And so we can, we can celebrate failure as long as we learn from it. But what we can't celebrate is chronic failure when we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, because then we're not learning and we're not making progress. So we all fail, and sometimes we think that we can't go to our heavenly father because we have an image or an experience with an earthly father or a mentor or a boss or somebody like that, that, man, we went one time and they handed us our head and we don't want to go back again. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And yet this is our heavenly father. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He wants the best for you. He is wanting to partner with you, not force you, not control you, but partner with you where you and I will come alongside him and he'll lead us into the best path. That's what the Bible says in one translation, the best path for our life. How many of you are, don't respond to this? This is an inward, you answer this question. How many of you are on the best path for your life or you're on an okay path or you're just out in the weeds? You know, we've got to know where we are. 
And we can get in any of those places at any time. You know, sometimes we're just four-wheeling. We're off the road. And we're trying to find the road again. Other times, it's, it's okay. There are some curves that we're ne negotiating. And other times, we're on the highway. And at any given time, we can be any one of those places. But with, if we know that we have followed God to the best of our ability, knowing that he's not looking for us to be perfect, and we're where we are, we can have absolute peace and confidence because he's there and he can get us to where we need to be. And we need to be confident of that. But with, with this prayer, when we're going to our Father, he is our greatest ally. He's our greatest advocate. He is the one that can and wants to do more for us than any and everybody in our lives combined. So that's who we're going to. But then it says who's in heaven. And that's so that we recognize, yeah, he's our Father. We have this relationship. It's loving. It's family. It's wonderful. It's good. But don't forget who he is. He's in heaven. He's almighty God. He's the creator of the universe. You know, I worked for a Fortune 500 company when I was in the oil industry. And I never talked to the head of the company. Never got even close to getting near those that were the heads of the company. And yet, do you understand, we as Christians have direct access to talk to the creator of the universe. Sometimes we just want a manager. I want to talk to the manager. Well, you know what? You can go way over that. You can talk to the creator about anything and everything because you're not going to scare him and you're also not going to surprise him. There's nothing you can say to him that he's going to go, what? Or go, oh. He's going to be there. And kind of a, a familiar term that's, that's been around for a while, still is kind of around, I think, or I may be outdated. But he's got you. He's got you. But did you give you to him? Because he can't have you if you haven't given yourself to him. And every time we take ourselves back, man, he's not going to wrestle with you. He could rip you out of your hands. But he's not going to do it because he loves you too much. He is not going to violate your freedom of choice. And so he's waiting for us to turn and, and make that deposit like we did this morning. You know, what was it that you were carrying? What were the cares that, that were stressing you out and weighing you down? Please understand that that moment in time that we did that little exercise, we just made a deposit with God. Do you know when you make a deposit with God, you make room for God to make a deposit in you? And some of us, our lives are so jam-packed, God doesn't have room to make a deposit. And we need it so desperately. So he's our Father who's in heaven. And then it says, hallowed, revered, honored, sacred is his name. We've got to remember that. Everything we do as a Christian, I, I don't use the Lord's name in vain as far as verbally. But there are times in my life that I profane the name of God because of how I act. I am not rightly representing him. And I'm not alone here. 
And so I want to revere God. I want to honor God. I want to show that he is sacred. He is holy. And so I have to adjust my life. And we as Christians have to adjust our lives. So this is what it reminds us of. How's our life going? How are, who are we going to? How are we going to him? And what are we wanting from going to him? Are we going to him because we want our name to be known everywhere? Or do we want his name to be known everywhere? See, we live in a society saturated with people just wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be affirmed, wanting to be known. And if we as Christians are in that same vein where I, I, I'm just trying to get my name out there, do you know what? You don't have to. God knows your name. And if he wants it out there, he'll get it out there. And if he doesn't want it out there, you shouldn't want it out there. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due season, he'll lift you up. He lifts those up that he wants to lift up and he lets down those that he wants to let down. We should want God's will in our life before and more than anyone else's will. And so hallowed be thy name. And then comes, we're proclaiming this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom. What do we know? What do we really know about his kingdom? Because if we're part of the kingdom and we're not operating in the kingdom the way the kingdom has for us to operate, it's like here. If we were to drive out of here today after service and didn't know what a stop sign meant. Serious. You know, you, you can go to other countries and their signs don't look like our signs. Their words don't look like our words. And if you don't know what it is, you endanger yourself and you endanger others. And so if we were to, to not recognize what a stop sign is or a stoplight, and that's just one aspect, one small aspect of our society, we immediately put ourselves in danger and put other people in danger. And it's the same way in the kingdom. The Bible says we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's dear son, Jesus. But this kingdom has a whole different operating system. It's almost completely contrary to the system of the world that we were raised in for so many years. And it requires, it's necessary for us to find out about this new kingdom. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom, his kingdom. Not your kingdom, his kingdom. We can't have his will in our lives unless his kingdom is operating in our lives. That's the way his will is done. So thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And that's why a few weeks ago I asked you questions about, hey, can you imagine you doing that in heaven? Or can you imagine whatever it is that's going on being done in heaven? If it can't be something that you can see happening in heaven, now just take a, take a minute and think about our society. Now how have people been acting towards each other? Right, nice, everybody's playing nice. Everybody is patient and kind and encouraging. I know you're wondering, what, what world do I live in? 
Well, I live in a world that my wife is in, so that, it's not always that way. But if you can't imagine what you're about to do, maybe it's in response to what somebody did to you. If you can't imagine that going on in heaven, then it's not his will. And that's a real quick test in that moment where we just want to react. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, in us as it is in heaven. And then we, we went on to the next one, give us this day our daily bread. It's not about just bread. One of the things, did you know when they were liberating the concentration camps in the Second World War, there were not just adults in the camps, there were children. And it was, it was ungodly, almost unimaginable situations of what went on. And these children were exposed to this. And when they were liberated, they would not be able to sleep. They would have all sorts of nightmares and things like that. And they had to, they tried to help them. And they finally came up with an idea that worked. You'll never believe what it was. Every one of those kids, when they, they gave them a hunk of bread, and those children, when they were hold on to the bread and go to sleep, they didn't wake up. And when they talked to them about it, the older ones, they said, why, why are you able to sleep now? Because I know when I wake up, I'll have at least something of what I need. I want you to understand God is there to give you your daily bread, what is essential for life. Now, there's a difference between what we need and what we want. And in this country, it's very hard for us to determine that because everybody tells us that we need their product. And that's not true. But God knows what you need. And the Apostle Paul said, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So that's what that prayer is about up to this point. And then in verse 12, we look at this. It says, and. Now, no other verse has started out with something that connected it to the verse before, the thought before. So there's a connection between getting what, receiving what is essential for life from God and this part. And forgive us our what? Debts. You see, the moment you talk about debts, we all start to cringe. Because the debt load in America is astronomical. And I didn't look up what the average debt load is currently. But I had a number of years ago, and when that was, that was news to me, that the average household had a debt load of $15,000. Now, I have a question for you. Do you think the debt load went up or down? Yeah, obviously. And, and so 
it's something that we owe. Forgive us what we owe. And, and another translation says, forgive us our trespasses. When somebody trespasses, where are they going? Where they're not supposed to go, right. And another translation says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us or those who trespass against us or our debtors. So right here, the, one of the biggest parts of this verse is a little word with two letters, as. Every one of us here knows that we, we have flaws, we have frailties, we have failures, and it's not something we're going to be able to get rid of like the flu. Oh, I'm glad I'm done with that. No, you're, you're going to struggle with this. As long as we're in this earth suit, our, our bodies, we're going to struggle with this. That's why one day when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. Because the flaws, the frailties, and the failures are no longer going to be a part of our lives. But here they are. And so this says... Forgive us as. So there's something we have to do first to receive forgiveness. Now, we receive forgiveness from Jesus for salvation, all right? But we continue to sin. And one of the things in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we have to keep current on this. We can't just keep doing what we've always done the way we've always done it. We should be making progress. Our sin production should be decreasing, and our saint production should be increasing. Right? We're supposed to be holy as he is holy. Now, that's, that's daunting. Because God is perfectly holy, and we'll never make it this side of heaven. But we should be gaining on it. And, and by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, we can. But we're to forgive, forgive, asking God, forgive us our sins as we forgive, as we forgive those who sin against us. And, and there, last week I shared with you one of the main reasons why is in Matthew chapter 6, we looked at it, it says that if we are in unforgiveness, we cut ourselves off from the benefits of God. And why is that? Well, the reason why we cut ourselves off, the enemy doesn't cut you off. All he has to do is get you in unforgiveness, and you cut yourself off. There's no better ally than the person doing something wrong to themselves for the enemy. Because then he can just leave us, and we'll just keep doing what we've done unless we get smart. And we experience change in our lives. But it cuts us off because unforgiveness is sin. And the reason why we're continuing to talk about this is because the Bible tells us in the days that we're living in that people are going to be unforgiving. They're going to betray one another. They're going to hate one another. Many people are going to be offended. And when, when we get offended, 
It's because something's done something or didn't do something we expected. And all of a sudden, we get upset. Well, why did they do that? I didn't deserve that. You probably didn't because people are doing all sorts of things to each other that they don't deserve. But you know, you've heard this, hurting people hurt people. And so all this is happening right now. And that's why the Bible is being fulfilled. Many people are being offended. Many people are hating each other. Matthew chapter 24 tells us. And then that offense held on to or a grudge held on to ends up turning into unforgiveness. And that unforgiveness poisons us. Again, don't respond outwardly, but have you ever had a situation where somebody did something to you and it was just hurtful, it was disappointing, and, and all of a sudden you just couldn't get rid of it? It was just in there, and you would think about it, and the more you thought about it, the angrier you got, the more hurt you became, and it was like it was just done yesterday. And you just keep hanging on to this stuff, and you run into that person that did it to you, and they've moved on. They're not remembering what they did. They're living their life. And you're stuck. And you're in pain. The only one that unforgiveness affects is us. Somebody said it this way. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the person that hurts you to experience the results. And it doesn't. We experience the poison of unforgiveness. The person that did it to us, they don't. And so God knows we need to be very, very quick to forgive. How quick was God to forgive before you and I ever asked? He wasn't waiting on somebody to come to him and say, okay, he set it up where once we recognize we need to receive that forgiveness, it was already taken care of. And sometimes I was talking to somebody last week after the service. They were saying, you know, I needed to hear that because I've been holding unforgiveness towards somebody who I can't even go to anymore. They're dead. Do you know that that's affecting people? They're carrying this, this unforgiveness towards someone who isn't even around anymore. And God doesn't want your life impacted and influenced by that poison. And so we're to forgive, be forgiven as we forgive. It's, it's so, so important. It's part of the last days. In Romans chapter 1, this won't be up there. Uh, it tells us that people will be untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, and unmerciful. Do you think you see any of that around today? Yeah, it's everywhere. It's even in the church. It's in our lives. And we shouldn't be ones that portray that. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, in the ERV translation, it says this. And this, this what precedes it, it talks about the end of the age. 
They will have no love for others. We see that today. We'll refuse to forgive anyone. We see that today. They will talk about others to hurt them. We see that today. So this is, this is true about being the last days because these are characteristics of the last days and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. But look at that. Unforgiveness is right there, front and center. Because God knows unforgiveness is a masterful tool that the enemy uses in almost every one of our lives at one time or another. And so we have to, we, we, it's important that we recognize this. And Jesus, in, in speaking to his disciples, were talking to them. They were, they, he was teaching them, and all of a sudden they have this conversation. They're asking, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Now we're talking about the kingdom of God. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus began to teach about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And, and we find this in Matthew chapter 18. He called a little child to him. And in verse 3 of Matthew 18, and that's where we're going to spend the majority of time today in the gospel of Matthew, looking at a parable that Jesus taught. But it started out this way when they had asked him, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And he said, I say to you, unless you repent, change, turn about, and become like little children, trusting. So when I say these characteristics, you, you just internally check, are you trusting? Because it's hard to trust in the society we live in today. But we need to be trusting first and foremost of God. Then it says lowly, which is humble. Are we trusting and humble? Because there's not a lot of humility that we see in humanity. Then it says loving. Again, we need to embody this. This is how we're supposed to portray what kingdom people look like. They're trusting. They're humble. They're loving. And then it says forgiving. And, and in this translation... Jesus said at the end of that, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all unless you change. Now, I don't need emails. I don't need texts or letters. I didn't write this. Take it up with the author. Because I don't enforce this. He does. And that's why the enemy works so hard to get us into these places. And he began to teach them this parable that is very insightful. And so we're, we're going to drop down. And, and as you can read this over later today or this week, the, the verses between verse 3 and where we're going, because he warns everybody about offenses again. Because we find ourselves being offended. I was offended last week. I can't even count the number of times. Initially, I had the temptation to receive an offense. I didn't like the way I was treated. All right? But nobody owes me anything. 
And if the world's going to change, I can't look out there and say, you know what, you need to change the world. Because God's looking at me and saying, will you change you? Because if you change you, the world will experience change. And now the change that's in you will impact the people that you interact with. So you will be changing the world when you begin with changing you. Because we really have been given no authority over anybody else. But we've been given all authority to change our own lives. And in changing our lives, we begin to impart change to other people if they're willing to receive it. But dropping down in verse 21, we're going to see this parable. It says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often? It doesn't surprise me it was Peter. How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And then he gives an answer. Now, that's just like Peter. Peter's going to just, he's going to ask the question, he's going to give the answer, and then he's going to say, and I, what we know of Peter, I think Peter was like, how often, Lord, should we forgive others? You know, I, I think seven times is a good number. Because we don't understand this. We think seven times. Where did he come up with that number? I have a theory. Probably not right, but it's, it's, it's the only one I've got. The rabbis at that time, do you know how many times they said you needed to forgive somebody? Three times. They said you just have to forgive somebody three times. So knowing Peter, Peter was like, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to get this right. I'm going to impress Jesus. I'll double what the rabbis said. So I got six. And I'll add one more for good measure. And I can see him right now. He's like, so, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone who sins against us? Seven? And I, I just, I don't know. Peter's going to probably find me when I get to heaven to say, I wasn't like that at all. But I think he was just waiting for Jesus to say, Peter, that's amazing. You are amazing. That is way beyond what I would have said. That's even better. And Jesus just blows him out of the water. And Jesus says, not seven times. And I think he's still got this hope. Well, maybe he's going to go to five and I look really good. He says, but 70 times 7. <laughs> 70 times 7? What? I need a calculator? I need a spreadsheet? I got to keep all these in line for every person every day, for every individual sin that they sin against me? I can't do it. Yes, Peter, yes, that's it. You can't do it because that's what I'm telling you. You don't keep count. But how quick are we to keep count? <laughs> We're all the same. That's the last straw. Well, how many straws has this been? I don't want to answer that. It's the first straw, but it's the last straw. 70 times 7. 
And what Jesus is saying isn't keep count. Because it's about each individual person with you, with that unique sin. So if they sinned a different way towards you, that's another count. So now you got two things going. 490 times, when you get to 490 times, guess what happens when you get to 100? You can't keep count. You don't get it straight. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't count. You do not count. How many times you've forgiven them and get to the limit? You can't get to a limit. Now, I understand that it is painful sometimes when somebody does something to us, but we're supposed to forgive them. It does have an effect on them if they know it, but what God wants is God wants you to be free. He wants to keep you free. And as much as it at times is painful to forgive somebody, because sometimes we get the erroneous idea that if I forgive them, I'm saying it was okay. It's not. It's not saying it's okay. It's not saying you can do it again to me. Sometimes we have to take ourselves out of those situations so that we don't get exposed again to that type of action towards us. But we don't react to it. We don't react to what people do because the moment we react, do you know the moment you react to what somebody else does? They just controlled you. And that's the last thing any one of us wants because we are such control freaks. Welcome to the human race. We want to control everything. And that's part of the reason why we have a challenge with God because we have to turn control over to him. We, we need to do it his way. And yet we want control because we want it to work out the way we want it to work out. But what happened the last time you tried to work out what you wanted to work out the way it worked out? Was it good? We can go back far enough, you'll find something not good. And that's more of our track record. So, so 70 times 7. Then in verse, verse 23, he goes on to say, he's talking about this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who has decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars and he couldn't pay. So this is the beginning of the parable. He's talking about a king and people who have taken money from him, now owe him, and this one guy owes him a million dollars. Millions of dollars. When, when you calculate out, a lot of the, the, the scholars will calculate out, it talks about the uh, monetary thing that uh, they used. It was $12 million. I don't care if it's $12 million or $1 million. That's a big debt. Think about that. On your salary right now, would you be able to pay off a million-dollar debt? I don't think so. No, I'm sure some people could. But this is, this is talking about an un, 
unpayable debt. Couldn't do it in a lifetime. All right? So that's what this guy is, is facing. And it goes on in verse 26 and 27. It says, a servant fell down before him. Now, I want you to remember these words. Remember this picture. The, the, the king has said, you owe millions of dollars. Immediately, this servant that he has just said, this is what you owe me, falls to his knees and says, Master, have patience with me, and I will repay you all. Now, first of all, does anybody have a problem with that? Now, that's a reaction. Uh, 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 I'll repay it all. Just have mercy. If he had 12 lifetimes, which we don't, we have one, he couldn't have repaid it. But he's, he's saying, please, please don't give me what I deserve. And look at the master's response. The master of that servant was moved with what? Compassion. When we see in the New Testament Jesus was moved with compassion, that's when he healed, that's when he fed, that's when we see just monster miracles. They were amazing. Thousands of people fed because he was moved with compassion. So the, the king was moved with compassion. The master was moved with compassion, released him. Now, think about this. He could have just released him and said, all right, start working on paying back your debt. At least I'll get something out of this before you die. But that's not it. He released him, freed him from the prison he was going to, and then forgave him the debt, wiped the slate clean. So it wasn't like he got out of prison and now he has got to just use his life to try and pay back this debt. One thing in his life that he has to do is pay back this debt. You know, there are a lot of Christians that live their lives thinking, I got to pay back this debt. I got to earn my salvation. I got to make it right. No, God's made a way. We have to acknowledge what we've done, but then we have to be willing to receive what we can't get on our own, and that's grace. Mercy, God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. But then he's gracious to us and gives us what we can't get on our own and can't do on our own. That's the God that you have as a heavenly father. It's not about trying to do it's about trusting. It's about connecting with God and letting God be God in our lives so that we can partner with him because he wants our lives. That's why Jesus came. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him, what? Would not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundant. It's not about earning it. But it's about acknowledging what he can do versus what we can do. So he forgave his debt. And then in verse 28 through 30, it says, but when the man left the king. Now this is it. He just has this monstrous debt forgiven. 
He's been released from prison. And you would think he would be thrilled and just, wow, wow. But it says when he left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and grabbed him by the throat. Man, that stuck with him for a long time, what the king did for him, right? This reveals what this person was like. It wasn't about what anybody else had done for him. He got what he didn't deserve, but now he wanted what he thought he deserved. And he was going to take it out on everybody else. Grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged. Oh, do you remember what I told you to remember? How did he react to the king? Fell down. This one falls down. It's almost like, oh my gosh, this should have triggered him. I remember this. This was just a few minutes ago. I did the same thing. And should have awakened him to the compassion and the mercy and the grace that the king showed him. But he was asleep at the wheel. Fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now remember, this is a parable. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples something about everyday life. And all of a sudden, we, we should be seeing ourselves in this too because it happens all the time. We, we are forgiven of so much by God, but how much are we willing to forgive someone else? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. How much has somebody, anybody, sinned against us versus how much we have sinned against God? We have far exceeded what we have sinned against God, knowingly and unknowingly, Versus what people have sinned against us. And yet we're just very similar to this person where, God, please forgive me. And all of a sudden we're t telling someone, you got to pay. I will not forgive you. And it's, it's, it's shocking because we don't think we're that way. But I think we find ourselves doing that thing more often than we would be honest with ourselves about. Verse 32 and 33, it goes on to say, then the king called the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you. So that's the question. Shouldn't we have mercy on others just as God has had mercy on us? Doesn't the Bible tell us freely we've received, freely we're to give? Doesn't the Bible tell us what we sow is what we reap? I don't want people holding me in debt for what I did. I want mercy. 
And one of the things that happened in my life when I read this and I learned about this, I, I began to change because I realized I am going to need people to be patient. I'm going to need people to be kind. I'm going to need people to be merciful. I'm going to need people to be gracious with me when I don't deserve it. And so if I am needing that, then I need to be proactive giving that before I need it. And you know how often I need people to be patient with me and, and, and kind and gracious and merciful with me? I need it multiple times a day, just like we all do. And I don't want to sow judgment and criticalness and condemnation to other people because I don't want to reap that. But you know the Bible tells us as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping. And I don't think many of us want to reap what we've sown at times. Verse 34, this parable concludes, the teaching of the parable concludes, uh, with this example, the master was very angry, so he put the servant in jail to be punished. He had him stay in jail until he could pay everything he owed, which meant he never got out. And you may say, wow. Because the next verse tells us, Jesus says to them, and my heavenly father will do the same. But understand, it is not that he is necessarily punishing us. We punish ourselves. We bring the punishment on ourselves. Because when we're unforgiving, we're in sin. What does sin bring to our lives? Correct. Sin not only brings death, it brings imprisonment. It holds us in prison. It limits our lives. We, we, we learned this and saw this, I think it was last week. We're in Luke chapter 6, and this won't be up on the screens. Verse 37 and 38, it says, Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. And then it goes on to say, given, it'll be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We're told in the Bible there's a, a rule, a golden rule. In Matthew and Luke, Jesus tells us what the golden rule is. Do unto others as we want them to do unto us. Do you know what the world's rule is? Do unto others before they do it unto you. But we're supposed to do unto others as we want them to do to us. Again, a quick test when we're about to do something, about to say something. Is this what we want coming back to us? Because it is, it is a law that God put in this place. What you sow is what you reap. I don't want a lot of the things that I've sown over my life. But I recognize if I have sown it, I deserve to reap it. 
but I'm trusting that the mercy and the grace of God will intervene, not because I deserve it, not because I worked hard enough that I have him beholding. He needs to give it to me. I need him to give it to me, and he can either give it to me whether he wants to or not, but I'll own what I've done, but I need mercy. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. So how do we forgive? Do we forgive with strings attached? You know, I'm forgiving you, but you better act right from now on. Is that what God says to us? There are no strings attached to his forgiveness. Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. So that's, that's, that's what we're hearing. This is the way we're supposed to forgive. God, I don't know if I can do that. As a matter of fact, God, I'm pretty sure I can't. And then we want to say to God why we can't do this, but that negates the scripture in Philippians 4.13 that we all want to quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, except forgive that person. Are, are, are there special cases that we can deny what God's word says because we don't want to? It's not easy. We don't feel like it. It's something we have to continue to, to intentionally do. You know, we forgive somebody in that moment. We, we sense the mercy and the grace that we have received, and we become merciful and gracious towards that person. And we say, God, I forgive them, and, and I just commit them to you. And I, 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 I pray for them because they've... they've been somebody that was a part of my life, but I see them as an enemy, and you say I'm supposed to pray for my enemies and bless those who persecute me and despitefully use me, and so I'm praying for them. Get them, God. When you pray for somebody, one of the things that changes that we're unaware of is we change. When we pray for God's blessing on somebody, I remember, I remember when I was experiencing persecution and, and treatment I didn't deserve. And I really just wanted to call the fire of God down. And I became very aware of God said, is that what you want to sow? No, I don't want fire. I want your mercy and your grace. And he said, that's what you pray. Pray for my blessing on them. And the greatest blessing that we can pray for anybody is that they would know and love and follow God. That'll take care of all the things they're doing because they won't do it anymore. And that's something we need to pray with our heart, really believing, God, that would be, that would be what I want. I want them to be under your control, not under their control or anybody else's control. And in Colossians chapter 3, 13, we're going to end with this. In the New Living Translation, it says, make allowances for each other's faults. And this is so countercultural. This is so different than the world we live in. It's so opposite of what we see and what we experience daily. But we're supposed to be different. And forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive 
anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, and this is the clincher, so you must forgive others. By my very act of not forgiving, I am opposing God. I'm beginning to work with the enemy. Now, am I, I his? No, I'm not the enemy's, but I am following things that he wants me to do, even though I'm still God's. Because we can follow whoever we want to. And the thing that it hurts, the person that it hurts more than anybody else, it'll hurt us because that's sin. That sin will have an effect on our lives. But the person that hurts deeper than even us is our Heavenly Father who loves us completely. It's the way the enemy gets at him. And as if you are a parent or a grandparent or you are part of the family <laughs> and you've experienced family dynamics where everybody's at everybody else, there's just this tension where people aren't forgiving, they're not merciful, they're not loving. That environment causes life to be extinguished. Unity to be unknown. But when we're forgiving, it causes us to connect with our Heavenly Father and act like Him, but it also causes us to begin to connect in the body of Christ. The way God's Word says needs to happen before revival unity has to happen and that's why I believe God is having us go through this and learn about forgiveness so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads first of all if you have never received because you never knew you never recognized you never repented and you never received the forgiveness and cleansing of, uh, that God provided through Jesus in his death on the cross. I want to pray with you this morning, whether you're here or you're at home. We all need a Savior. We all need someone above us, smarter than us, stronger than us, more resource than us, to govern and guide and guard our lives, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our Heavenly Father also and so if you're here and you have never never prayed to receive christ never repented of your sin and 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 turned to and trusted in christ um, and you want to do that today there's no better time than now i just with every head bowed every eye closed i just want you to lift your hand because the Bible says when we do this, we become this new creation in Christ. It's a new beginning. And that's the only way to begin life again. Well, I'm going to invite you to pray with me today. Let's pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, to pay the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I come to you today 
in need of a Savior. I thank you for your forgiveness and your cleansing in my life now. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer to today, let somebody know if you're here. If you're online, go to the website, reslifeny.org, and uh, go down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by, by name, please give us your name. And if you want somebody to contact you, give us some contact information. Now, before we dismiss today, I'm going to ask you once again just to bow your heads. And the reason why I do this is I don't want you to be concerned about anybody else around you. You know, sometimes we sit in a service and we hear things and we need some time for what, what we heard from God because there's something for everyone here, but it's also for our corporate connection too. But sometimes we hear things that are, are spoken and shared and, and scriptures and and over time, they start to get deeper and deeper into us, and we recognize, man, that was something I needed to hear. And not only did I need to hear it, there's an adjustment I need to make. Now, if you know this morning that, that there are some things that you've held on to, some unforgiveness, there's some bitterness, and you say today, I, I, I realize that's not what I should be doing. It's not good for me. It's not what God has for me, and it's not good for others. And, and God, I want to give it to you today. If that's you, I just want you to quickly lift your hand and say, that's me, and put it back down. Thank you. Right back down. Right back down. Right back down. Thank you. Right back down. Now, for those of you, you know what? You don't need me to pray. Because you don't have to rely on me for this, because this is what God has for us to go to him every day. We confess our sins to him. And 1 John 1, 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right where you are right now, you just admitted this is what I need to do. Do it. Just let God know. God, I realize I need to make an adjustment. I'm making it right now. I'm casting that on you. I'm giving you that person to work on. And I am allowing you to work on me to release this. But this week, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you at home too, this week, I believe, I've been praying and believing that God is going to bring conviction to our lives and that conviction is good because it helps us get more fully on the path that God has for us. And when he convicts us, he makes us aware of something that needs to be adjusted. And so I, I felt as I was praying this week for this service that it may need to be that you recognize, boy, you know, I thought I had that all squared away, but I still have some unforgiveness. And I'm going to ask you to consider doing something just to be able to help you. You can either do it at home, write it down on a piece of paper. God, I forgive this person or, or uh, these people or this organization or whatever. 
Some of you have to forgive yourself. Write it down on a piece of paper. And then take it and crumple it up and throw it in the garbage. And know that it's going out with the garbage. And you would not go digging in that garbage for that. So don't let it come back in your thoughts. And maybe if you struggle, you want to bring it here. Bring it here next Sunday. We'll have a time where you can throw it up here. Probably look like a snowball fight. But Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for every one of your children here. I thank you for every one of us that you make it so easy to come to you. We can do it anywhere, anytime, about anything. And be able to cast that care upon you. Be able to be reminded. Father, help us to always remember how freely and fully you have forgiven us. And we need to freely and fully forgive others. Father, we thank you this morning for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy, not giving us what we deserve. We thank you for your grace, giving us what we don't deserve and can't get on our own. Father, help us to be like you. Help us to live a life that just as, as your son, when he was asked to show you to his disciples, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Lord Jesus, we want to be people that can say, if you've seen us, you've seen our Lord. Now, Father, I thank you for healing hearts today. Here in the sanctuary, at home, with those that are listening and watching, your word says you're the healer of the brokenhearted. So we thank you that you heal hearts. But, Father... We thank you for Psalm 23 where as our shepherd, Lord, it says you restore our souls. We thank you for soul restoration today in cleansed, clean, loved, and compassionate, filled hearts and souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Thank you. Thank you for making the choice to be here. It's important that you take what God has for you this week. And it may be he gave it to you because there's somebody else that he has for you to share it with. I'm not going to point him out, but there's a man here today that came to this church not having ever been here this week. I uh, had to do some work here. And it was a huge blessing for me to spend time with this man. And we talked about the Lord. And uh, he encouraged me and I encouraged him. And, and he's here today. But through your week, there are going to be people that God has God incidences where you're going to connect with them because of the kingdom. Be ready. Amen? Be ready. I just want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. I thank you for your presence that is with them. That you go before them and prepare the way. The plan you have for them, which is for good and not for evil, with a future full of hope. We live in a world, Father, you know more than we do, but is filled and seeming to get more full of evil. But, Father, we thank you that you said we can be lights in the darkness, salt in the earth. 
And so, Father, we give ourselves to you that you can work in us and through us to impact, to impart, and to bless all those you love around us. We thank you, Father, for your loving kindness and your goodness. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, have a great week.